0: Welcome to Occam's Razor, episode forty-three. Tonight we are talking about uh, ghosts of Ripper victims and paranormal activity at the Ten Bells pub in Spitalfields. Uh, my special guest tonight is Lindsay Civita. Lindsay is a trained historian who has worked over for thirty years in museums and archives throughout the UK, including working for five years as an official volunteer curatorial assistant at the Crime Museum, New Scotland Yard. Lindsay has been researching Jack the Ripper case for over 30 years, and for the last 19 of those, has worked for Discovery Tours as one of their well-respected Ripper tour guides. Lindsay has assisted on many projects, having written articles and contributed to many books on various aspects of the Ripper case, and continues to research the first ever biography of famous Ripper suspect Sir William Gull. Lindsay regularly gives lectures and presentations across the country and has been a guest speaker at many conferences. As a historical advisor and consultant to many companies, including Madame Tussauds, the Museum of London and the BBC, Lindsay has also appeared in over 20 television documentaries globally, including recently America Unearthed for the Travel Channel in 2019, in which she filmed in the venue this Podcast focuses on the Tin Bells pub in Spitalfields. Paul how are you, Lindsay?
1: <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: No worries. Now, obviously, you we've spoken off here in the past, and you don't like the term ripperologist, do you? You're uh, why, first <laughs> of all, why is that? <laughs>
1: Um, I think, sadly, over the last few years, the term reparologist, which was initially coined by a great historian, Colin Wilson, many years ago, I think it's had um, a bit of a bad press over the years, and it's, it's often sadly connected to negative sort of vibes around the subject area. So. Um, I'm not overly keen on that phrase, I have to say, these days. But to be fair, I'm a a historian, not just on Jack the Ripper, but lots of other things, including Egyptology. So I have a bit of a wider base, really. So I tend to call myself a historical consultant or advisor, really, than just Ripperologist.
0: Absolutely. Now, I understand you're compiling uh, a book. It's coming in the future on the, specifically on the Ten Bells pub, which is associated to the Jack the Ripper, or victims of the Jack the Ripper uh, murders. What got you interested in uh, the Ten Bells?
1: Um, I first visited the Ten Bells um, back in the late 90s when I went on a guided tour with the famous historian and writer Donald Rumblow. Some people may have heard of Don. And usually at the end of his tours back in the late 90s, he would actually end up in the Ten Bells after his Jack the Ripper tour. And yeah, I'm just looking at my notes here. I sort of went on the 9th of October, 1997. And as soon as I actually walked in, I kind of felt, a negative vibe or whatever you want to call it. I'm not a psychic or medium or anything like that myself, but I I am maybe sensitive to certain things. Um, And I just felt negative when I kind of went in, but it was a very famous place at the time. It has changed decor wise, but certainly back in the 1990s when I went in, there were loads and loads of posters and loads of sort of things for sale memorabilia all connected with the Ripper. So at that time, not necessarily today, but at that time it was quite, in a way, a tourist trap, I suppose, for uh, many of the Ripper tours. But yeah, that was the first time I sort of got into it. And then over the years, I've just been more and more interested in the truth as opposed to the myths about which victims, do we have evidence actually did go into this pub or didn't? And I've just accumulated lots of stories over the years about paranormal activity and I've given lectures on it in the last couple of years and people seem genuinely interested but I actually wanted to do a bigger book than that really and that's what I'm, I'm sort of researching now more about the whole history of the actual building and the pub and the Jack and the Ripper stuff will be one part of that but it's got sure. sort a of fascinating history as I'm, I'm learning all the time.
0: Absolutely now focusing on the paranormal as we often do on Occam's Razor um, the paranormal database, I had a bit of a surf of that and it appears there has been um, documented uh, accounts of apparitions of the victims of what's said to be the victims of the Whitechapel murderer um, appearing. Um, first of all, Mary Kelly is probably the, the most well-known of the victims, given she was uh, the last to be killed, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, her, apparently her shade uh, hung, hangs around the scene uh, of death where she met her demise, Uh, Miller's Court in Dorset Street, which happens to be um, opposite the Ten Bells pub, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, the the old uh, Dorset Street, demolished many years ago in in two sections. The first half was demolished in the 1920s, the second half in the 1960s. So that street hasn't existed for quite a while. But yes, its location is directly opposite the Ten Bells. Uh, Recently, in the last couple of years, they've just built a brand new Um, complex on that site so it's not even the same road layout now you're actually sort of inside a complex of different offices and shops and stuff you can stand slightly roughly on on the spot of where her room was number 13 miller's court Um, mary jane at least does have legitimate uh, links to the pub as the other victim annie chapman does but apart from that we have you know we have documentary evidence to suggest and to prove Contemporary evidence that both of those victims did actually frequent the pub, Annie Chapman and Mary Jane Kelly. Um, But sort of sadly, we don't have any evidence to really prove that any of the others visited it. They probably did because there were dozens of pubs and they knew the area well, but that's not to say that uh, we we don't have the documentary evidence for it, whereas we do with Mary Jane. Um, Certainly a few years ago, when other buildings were on the site of where Mary Jane was found, I haven't really heard of any stories, particularly on that spot when it was a modern day building. Um, But certainly going back to the 1950s, I can tell you a story that in 1959, a lady claimed in a television interview um, that her mother had moved into number 13 Miller's Court shortly after Mary's murder. And she quoted as saying there was a picture of the crucifixion on the wall. And behind it was a bloody imprint of a hand. No matter how many times it was painted over, it always showed through. So that's quite interesting. Okay. Um, and certainly you've mentioned the one where someone's obviously said there's meant to be, you know, some sort of shadow or some sort of energy on that spot. Um, what I can tell you is that one of my good friends who was living in the Ten Bells opposite um, around the year 2000, He woke up one morning in the middle of the night, absolutely terrified when he saw this figure at the bottom of his bed, this Victorian lady, and she was dressed all in black. And he, something told him, I don't know why, but his instinct or whatever you want to call it, told him that was Mary Jane Kelly at the bottom of his bed. He was absolutely terrified um, and didn't stay in the pub where he was living much longer after that and frightening and to be fair as we'll talk about throughout this podcast a lot of other activity would mean in that pub I would not pay I would you could you could not pay me any money basically to spend the night in there
0: (laughs) (laughs) speaking sort of anecdotally what stories have you heard um, emanating from the pub
1: gosh over the years I've collected all sorts of things um interestingly though In the newspapers, reports only really start happening, or that I've found so far, from the 1970s. And that seems to have happened because in 1975, the pub was being redeveloped, 1974, 1975, the pub was being redeveloped. It had been bought by new people, and they reopened it on the 30th of April, 1975, called the Jack the Ripper. So they actually renamed the pub, Jack the Ripper and it was in the months leading up to that opening when the managers at the time had lots of strange paranormal activity happen and they're the first newspaper reports we kind of have Um, and they sort of say all sorts of things from um, ghostly sort of activity of radios being turned on and off, lights going on, glasses moving on the bar, keys moving, Which I've heard from other managers as well, Um, floorboards being lifted up into the air, cold draughts, a woman seen in the cellar, so there was all sorts of these type of things and they tend to, don't know why, maybe when we do activity we release energies, some people might believe and and starts activity off, who knows, but certainly the earliest stories I found in the press date from around that time. Um, There was also psychic who went in there in 1976, she she, her story was sort of published in a newspaper around that time. Um, where some people might be sceptical. I mean, I, I have to say I, I have an open mind regarding these things. Um, in some respects, I'll tell you about some of the things I experienced a bit later on maybe, and that sort of maybe pushed me towards, well, there's definitely something here, even if I can't explain it. But certainly the most activity recorded in the press was really sort of in the 70s by the looks of it. Um, but it has appeared in lots of television programs and we can go through a couple of those as well, but later on, if you like.
0: And it has been, um, you know, the pub itself has been immortalised, as you say, in, in TV shows and movies and stuff mm. like that, hasn't it? Even going as far as Hollywood, I remember seeing the Johnny Depp film From Hell, I'm not sure of your... If you've seen the film, Um, oh
1: yes, many many times. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, take
0: with it. It's not a bad. I mean, I don't think it's a bad movie. Probably take it with a grain of salt in terms of uh, who your uh, who your suspect is. Um, But yeah, the the pub itself is featured quite prominently in that, isn't it?
1: Definitely, and in fact, what's quite funny is that um, the actual reconstructed pub used in the film was reconstructed in the middle of a field in Prague. Was there right? Um, yeah, so that was actually all filmed in a, in a field in Prague. Uh, but Johnny Depp did come to the Ten Bells. He visited, sadly not on the days I was there, no. uh, but he got to know the manager, David Lee, and a few of the um, historians as well when they went. he went and sort of met them. Um, but yes, I mean, I've got a really nice picture of Dave the landlord actually with Johnny Depp, which, is, which I think he was one of his most tough pictures. And I'm sure it was him or somebody, or maybe my friend who was living there at the time, but he actually recounted how... It, Johnny turned up, it was an appointment made. Johnny turned up at the pub on a Sunday, which wasn't open to the public at that time. And this this scruffy guy, who was Johnny Depp, this scruffy guy turned up at this door and was like banging on the door and the owner went bugger off, we're not open, not realising it was Johnny Depp. <laughs> Quite funny, but obviously sorted that out and let him in. Um, yeah, the film from hell that came out in 2001 and some of your readers, I'm sure may have seen it, your readers, your podcast listeners rather, uh, may have seen it, but also it obviously was based, it was a film adaptation of Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell's graphic novel, which they'd published in 1999. And, um, you know, I personally enjoyed the film as well and it has immortalized the pub, I suppose, forever. Um, so, but, uh, it also features in a few chorus places as well, which we can talk about a bit later as well.
0: Absolutely. You're going to be horrified by this, Lindsay, but I've actually never been to the Ten Bells pub. And I've gone as far as to um, get off the tube and, and walk down for a curry at Brick Lane. I've actually walked past the place yeah. and I just I haven't been in. I mean, how embarrassing <laughs> is that for someone in my line of work?
1: Uh, <laughs> well when this whole pandemic is over you'll have to come over and we'll go for a pint in the pub and I can show you around
0: absolutely um,
1: but I should just say to list- listeners what's interesting if people have been to the pub they may or may not know because to be fair it's not widely known but the pub today as we see it is not where it was a hundred years ago
0: that was
1: right. so what happened was yeah there was a, it was actually a, it was a few hundred yards further forward than it is today uh, today, if you don't know the location, it's on the corner of Commercial Street, a very a very busy thoroughfare, and Fournier Street, which is actually known as Church Street, still in the Ripper's time. So it's on a corner, it's a corner pub, um, and right next door is a stunning church by Nicholas hawkes called Christ Church. And the original Eight Bells Ale House was actually built in 1755, or roughly around that time, possibly a few years before. That's when we've got documents. Um, but it was further forward on what was Red Lion Street. And what happened was it was renamed the Ten Bells in 1788 when the church next door got a new set of chimes. So it became known as the Ten Bells. Eventually, um, so it was known as the Eight Bells to begin with. Then it became the Ten Bells. And then in 1851, Red Lion Street was demolished. So they actually widened that street and the new street was renamed Commercial Street which is where it is today. So what happened was various people bought leases off each other and the the house where the Eight Bells Ale House was, was demolished on condition that the landlord at the time um, basically said, well, I don't mind giving you the lease for this property if you want to right widen the road, but I still want to open a pub. So can I have the house behind it, so to speak, which was 33 Church Street. So that's kind of where the spot is today. So I just wanted to tell people that's not actually where it was originally. And also, certainly in the Ripper's time, now we have plans. I can tell you, if you see the pub today, it's a corner pub, as I said, and it has the corner cut off. So you enter via the main doors, which are sort of like on a triangle, if you like, on a cut off section of the the pavement. That was not like that in 1888 at the time of the Ripper murders. We now have the plans. It was very much a square sort of pub at the time. There was no corner um, entrance. There were various other entrances. And through the maps, which is really interesting, There's not one central bar, particularly like there is today, nothing else. Back then, there was a central bar, but it was surrounded by lots of other snugs, little areas, and a couple of other bars, which which is amazing because it's such a small space in there today. You're like, how did it even have more than one bar or snugs in it? It's quite crazy. I don't know what it would have been like.
0: Now, snugs uh, for the uninitiated, I'm thinking, I think I've seen those in Dublin. They're kind of a small private area enclosed within the bar is that correct with, with a sliding door
1: um I don't know about the sliding door thing depends on the pub I suppose it's yes, yep. basically a small private area for a, you know two or three people by the looks of it on this plan anyway can't have been much more crazy there's loads of them mm-hmm. um yeah just a bit more privacy really so um I don't have as a historian sort of much information about where Prostitutes sort of took their clients. We obviously know they serviced gentlemen in the streets. Sadly, that's exactly what the Ripper victims did. It's possible that these women did meet clients in the pub. But, you know, I've read a few other things saying that they just wouldn't do that at the time, actually. Or if they were going to meet them in there, they're certainly not going to have a transaction in the middle of the <laughs> pub in a snug. Okay. Yeah. So they may have had rooms upstairs, which may have been used for certain uh, operations, so to speak. Or they may have just gone to the backyard where the toilets were at the time. That's possible as well. Um, we don't. It's not a subject matter that in, a, in some respect is well documented, sort of from, from the time, really. So it's very hard to know exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, as you know, and people realise history is often written by the victors and, and the powerful people in society, not necessarily from the, the lower echelon, sadly. So there'll be lots of information we don't know. It's plausible they met people in there and as I said, it's more likely if any transactions were done in there, it's, it was done in rooms upstairs. Mm. However, saying that, um, I actually have been doing a little bit more research about who was living in this pub at that time. And most of the years uh, that I've been looking at, you know, a good 50 years, especially around the Ripper time, I don't even think that would have been possible because I now have literally, the censuses and other things. There was a whole family living upstairs. So the landlord lived up there. Uh, with his family, I've got all the lots of kids, you know, um, and the servants as well. And whether some of the staff members, like the pot man and the barman, they lived in there, it's very plausible as well. So it sounds like a very busy pub. And I was quite shocked to discover that a lot of wealthy people and influential local people, from councillors to government officials to other people, were actually using the first floor room, one of the large rooms, for official business from sort of everything from um, MPs meetings, to council business, to all sorts of other things going on. So because it's the only public building around at that time, that's where why pubs were used so much for all sorts of business like that. Um, when big things were, bigger buildings were were made later on in the century, that's fine, they, they moved to those. But for many, many years, setting the 1700s and the 1800s, pubs were the often the only sort of Public building, and so they were. They were used largely for a lot of official business. And I've discovered the bells was one of these venues. So with all that activity going on, huge family and staff upstairs. I don't see much room for ladies of the night having rooms up there. Quite frankly, I could be wrong, but there we go.
0: Absolutely. I suppose the angle I'm working with it is: did the Ripper meet his victims um, via? transaction that was agreed upon within the pub. Is is that your contention or something that's possible? It's more than possible, I suppose, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think Jack could have met his victims in in the pub certainly. Um, And, you know, a couple of people have hypothesized maybe it was the landlord at the time because he would have known the ladies and, you know, they would have felt safe with him and maybe he Mm. could have arranged something. Who knows? I mean, that's plausible as well. But seeing as I now know a little bit about the family who were in that pub from at least 1840ish to 1890—it's uh, all one family, two generations, but all one family. Um, kind of get the feeling I, I don't think it was the landlord. No. <laughs> I don't know. we might have a new bit of suspect on our hands.
0: Absolutely. The uh, speaking of the landlord, there's been a man uh, or an apparition seen in Victorian dress within the pub. Is that something that's happened? To them? Uh, recently, I see a historical account from about the 70s of that, but um, nothing in recent times?
1: The, 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 the sort of ghostly sightings of a man mm. actually dates to a lot later. It's more oh, modern. Oh, it? um, okay. That's not to say that it wasn't happening in the 70s, but certainly it wasn't written down officially in the newspapers, whereas other stories were. Um, people who I know who um, experienced that, it was sort of late... 80s, early 90s, and even up to 2000s on that. So it's a little bit later. Um, so around 2000, the landlord at the time, David Lee, um, actually showed a few of us this box, which they'd found in the cellar, which was amazing, almost time capsule. And in this box were all these objects belonging to a guy called George Roberts. And at the time, I was thinking, well, why is George left all his stuff here? And what's really sad is that actually we have no even even after all my research i have still not found any connection between george roberts and this pub it's bizarre so i have no idea why this box which had everything in from freemasonic regalia wallet passport all sorts of personal whole person's life was in this box but he had no connection to the pub as far as I can tell. He's certainly never a landlord there as far as I can tell so far at the records I've found and actually he's based in Dover and down in that part of the country in Kent he's Kent based born and bred I've now traced who he is but the mystery that perplexed me is that in this box was a wallet and there were two small newspaper accounts of George Roberts own murder and he was murdered with a pickaxe in a cinema And I couldn't really trace where it was. I tried for years to look on the internet, try and find out where this crime had taken place, got nowhere. And then literally two or three years ago, because the internet is so amazing now with so much more information on it, from archives and things, I actually tracked down George Roberts' murder. So I traced the whole story, got pictures, gone to the National Archives, looked at the the site, whatever, and still don't know why that box ended up in that pub, but we now know a lot more about George. It was myself who hypothesised to the pub twenty years ago. Maybe George is the guy who is seen on the upper floors, who is dressed in very dark clothing. One Bell said it was Victorian-looking, with a, like a top hat. Um, but now I know George's story. He wasn't Victorian. You know, he died in 1941 during World War Two. So you think, well. If he doesn't actually have a connection to the pub, why would he haunt the pub? He's a murder victim. I'm not saying he, his ghost may not haunt cinema where he died, or maybe he's home or something. Why would he even haunt the 10 bells? To be fair, I didn't have all that knowledge 20 years ago. So my hypothesis was, well, I found out someone in this pub by the looks of it has been murdered. Maybe it's his ghost. That kind of was put on the internet, went crazy, has been changed in format so many times, it's unbelievable. Um, all I can say is that, The male ghost, and I don't think it's George now looking back at it, um, was more likely to have been the two landlords who were there, uncle and nephew, um, Edwin and John Waldron, who looked after that pub from around 1840 to 1890. It's more likely to be one of those two guys because both of them died in the pub at different times. You know, So if anyone's going to haunt it, it might be them. They actually passed away in that building. That would make sense. So I don't think it's George's ghost anymore in there, but obviously the internet still hasn't caught up with the latest developments. And I'll just finish that story by saying, next door is a barber shop, okay? a gentleman's hairdressers. And a friend of mine, a tall one day, and the, the manager of the barber's next door had come out and said, oh, um, do you know about the, the ghost here or the paranormal stuff? And he was like, what? in the barbers no and he told him how this man kept walking through the walls scaring the customers um and he got so fed up of it they actually got an exorcism performed in the building really now i'm still trying to find out the exact details apparently so and then i said to the guy because i went in a few days after this i thought well i want to try and find out if this is true so i went in and i spoke to a member of staff he said look i've only been here a few weeks i experienced nothing but that is a true story And I said, well, is there any activity now since the exorcism? And they went, no, we've had nothing since. So clearly there was a man, a male ghost in there. Certainly when he was on the upper floors, which is where he tended to appear to the people I spoke to, he wasn't horrible or anything. He would just literally walk through the wall, sit on the end of their bed, smile, and then kind of walk out again. I mean, that's fine. It's not gruesome. But still, you don't need it on the end of your bed at midnight, do you really? You
0: don't need it. You're 100% right. I'd, I'd certainly would be checking out and, and going to a uh, Best Western or something down the road, personally.
1: <laughs> that's, that's
0: just me. Um, now, in your work, which has been curtailed a little bit uh, from COVID, you you do tours around the Ripper murder sites and so forth. So you're very well versed in in all that uh, lore and various theories and so forth. Um, Getting back to the um, specter side of things, I understand a woman in the gutter has been seen around the area that was Bucks Road, now now known as uh, Durwood Street and Whitechapel. Um, The the information I've got here is the general area is supposedly haunted by the sounds of the victims of Jack the Ripper. Thought only in uh, Durwood Street has an apparition been, although only in Durwood Street has an apparition been observed a glowing woman who lays in the gutter uh, at the location where Mary Ann Nichols was discovered. And she was the Ripper's first victim.
1: Yeah, so that story actually comes from, we can date it quite specifically, to 1895. Quite an old ghost story. And that comes from a very famous ghost writer called Elliot O'Donnell, and in his books at the time, he claimed that several local res- residents actually told him, this is 1895, this is what he said in his book, appalling screams and groans uttered by no living human being were sometimes heard at night in the streets where the Ripper had slaughtered his victims. In Bucks Row itself, he was informed that a huddled up figure like that of a woman emitting from all over it a ghostly light was frequently to be seen lying in the butter um so that story we know actually has a source it's not just sort of been made up um that was Elliot O'Donnell um the other person who told a bit of a story a bit more modern was Peter Underwood a member of the Ghost Club of which I'm a member as well very in famous his book... researcher
0: wasn't
1: he? yeah yeah and and a prolific writer mm-hmm. um in his book Jack the Ripper 100 Years of Mystery he adds that uh, There were tales of animals reacting oddly to that part of Buck's Row. Horses would flare their nostrils, flatten their ears and pull up sharply. And for years afterwards, dogs would strain at their leashes to avoid the spot where Polly's body was discovered. So um, most of the tours, to be fair, for most of the years, have never really gone to Buck's Row or Durwood Street. We don't have time on the tour. It's a bit out of the central section of where we tend to go that's not to say we haven't taken a few people there privately or things like that but the traditional nightly uh, ripper tours don't don't go to to Row usually because we just don't have the time sadly um i myself have been to that spot many many times over the years obviously i've never experienced anything there uh but a couple of other my friends have had strange experiences on that spot um but those are the, the couple of main stories that i found regarding Polly. anyway
0: yeah sure uh, moving, um, moving along. I've been to Mitre Square myself, um, which is where Catherine Edo's um, life life was ended. Um, in modern day, it's you know fairly unassuming. If you didn't know what you were looking for, you would think you were just sitting in a nice little sort of courtyard area, wouldn't you? Um, is that part of your tour? First of all,
1: yes. Mitre Square mm. is very much one of our favourite spots on the tour, but sadly, and I think we talked about this. Uh, a few days ago, um, if you'd been there a few years ago and listeners may, may have been over here and, and done the tour years ago, it, it was possibly the most atmospheric place on the tour because it was still quite dark at night and all the cobbles were still there in the square. you got a really good feel sadly a few years ago all the cobbles were removed because they now renovated that entire square with brand new skyscrapers which are so huge it's scary uh, it, we still go there on the tour because it's one of the important spots and we can still have access to the spot Another major reason why many people have not gone near Buck's Row in the last few years is because it's just been under redevelopment for Crossrail, this huge sort of new network of, of railway yeah. lines. Uh, but only about two weeks ago, um, the site area reopened. And it's really funny because the exact spot where Polly's body was found, going back to Buck's Row, is now a new exit for the Whitechapel tube
0: section. Oh, really?
1: So you can't even really stand on that spot because about a million people will every day coming out the tube. Um, Going back to Mitre Square, it still, I think, has a kind of an aura to it or a feel. There's something interesting there, even though the cobbles have gone. Let me tell you a quick story about one of those cobbles. So a few years ago, um, a friend of mine was doing a tour. She's a Ripper tour guide. And um, she'd done the tour and uh, she'd had a young lad on the tour with, her, with his parents and then afterwards, the mum was emailing our boss, because we both worked for, for Richard Jones at the time, and she, she emailed the boss apparently and said, oh, I've had all of these horrible things happen um, in the house, all this weird stuff, keys moving and furniture moving. We're getting really frightened. It all seems to have started when my son revealed he had stolen a cobble, a brick, from Mitre Square. Maybe he brought something back with him, paranormal, from this square. And you know, this email was quite distressing. And she's like, "What do I do? What do I do?" And my boss just turned around, apparently, and said, "Put it bloody back." So you know, they made apparently a special journey and placed this stone back in the square.
0: Sure, um, but it is, it is one—it is one place on the tour that's still accessible, isn't it? And in, in terms of. Um, you know, the public can still go. And you get a, you get a feeling of, the, of what could have happened there, you know, 120 odd years ago or so.
1: Yeah, and I think as a tour guide, it's your responsibility to be able to be a good storyteller. So you kind of like, you know, try and help people to visualise what happens on, a, on an actual spot surrounded by modern buildings. But our company are really good and lots of other companies are too because we have pictures, contemporary images. So we, we're talking about the spot, Yes, it's not here now, but look at this image. And I think that really helped transport them back and help visualise of what happened on the spot. Lots of psychics have been quite poorly on that site over the years. Some of them has been filmed for television, some of them in private meetings. And quite a few people in my tour and a few others that I know of for different companies, they've all had several people over the years at different times faint or feel very, very sick. At the spot there seems to be something quite which attacks people if they are maybe sensitive to this type of thing quite violently um making them really ill or as i say pass out um and we often so we've said in the past we've got another fainter on the tour tonight and often you know it doesn't happen that often but when it does it tends to be that in my experience in, in the mitre square area which is which is really interesting and as i said certain um psychics also got quite sick on that site so interesting stuff
0: so there's something to it you're saying i don't <laughs> no.
1: know if you know about this well yeah no it's just so much to talk about really isn't it i mean there's yeah. a thing called the stone tape theory if you believe yes, it the stone that, tape well
0: theory. that's one thing i do subscribe to um obviously mm. the paranormal show i form all sorts of opinions and i hear lots of opinions um it's it's the one that kind of seems to balance science and, and a bit of mystery uh the best when it comes to an explanation for for the paranormal well for seeing for seeing apparitions, anyway.
1: Yeah, and and I I do kind of feel that I would probably agree with that. Um, I've known other people at, at uh, outside London to have physically witnessed. A reconstruction, almost like a a playback on a tape, on a video, in the middle of a field of a battle, which took place on that day at that time, you know, 300 years ago, and keeps happening almost anniversary-wise. So I kind of think it makes sense as well. In that I've always felt, even though when I was a child, that I think as human beings we sort of divide time up, you know, um, linear, because that's the way time has been divided up: the past, the present, the future. But even as a child, I always thought, actually, maybe time is, is horizontal planes and everything is happening at the same time. So in theory, we should occasionally, if there's a time lapse or something like that, or this kind of stone tape thing, we kind of slip into the past or the future, but it's all happening at the same time. Mm. I don't know quite sure how that works, but I always felt as so, though like mm. humans have made it linear, but maybe it's happening and we can drift by accident, maybe, and cross over the boundaries, sometimes and that's what maybe ghosts are who
0: knows you're right and we're watching a. I I sort of view it as we're watching a replay of the past a recording um Hmm. you know and whether that's you know manifested by its surroundings and imprint um upon its surroundings or it's some sort of vibrational thing i don't know i often look to the production of um records and cds and stuff like that and think about vibrations involved you know how someone just speaking into a microphone effectively can um you know can be reproduced in a, a series of, of grooves on a record and somehow that comes out you know doesn't it and i'm
1: yeah and i think also i'm not a scientist but on a basic level we are all energy yeah you know on a very basic level, we're all made up of energy and so is the universe and the world so you know why can't energy transfer into other energies i don't know i'm not a scientist but i kind of do believe that type of stuff so you know
0: as an aside, I like yeah, I, I'm yet to get a expert on time slips on the show. Um, that's one thing I'm actually fascinated by. Um, even so much as I went to Versailles and sought out the uh, Petit Traillon, um little mansion, which is on the, well, that's what it means, actually, it was a little um, mansion <laughs> where the, the, the two ladies reported their time slip um, some years ago, the Versailles, the mobley Jordan uh, incident. Um I've noticed a lot of these time slips seem to happen in the UK. Um, are we confusing uh, Well, when people see ghosts, are they confusing ghosts for a re you know, some sort of uh, replay of the past as, as we've been discussing?
1: I don't know really. I mean, I, all I can say is I can tell you about the experience I had, which I think could have been a time slip of some sort, if you like, and that actually happened in the 10 bells, if you'd like to hear it. Oh, of course. Um, so I was, about 2002, I was in the pub on um, a Sunday again, because that's what, uh, back then is when the pub was was often closed. And we were filming a documentary. So there was only myself, my boss, Richard Jones, and a, a small film crew. Uh, we were actually doing some scenes in Victorian costume. So I was actually in Victorian costume. Not that that is particularly influential on the story. But anyway, so I'm in costume, and we're doing a bit of filming, and I needed the toilet. And the toilets um, in the Ten Bells are down in the cellar, and they are, they have a very famous vibe to them of being really horrible, really negative. Lots of things have happened in these toilets. (laughs) Uh, female spirit has definitely been seen down there many times, the toilet is is next to the cellar area. So they've always had sort of negative vibes, but, and I didn't like going down there on my own, I have to say, but needs must. Um, I think I was possibly the only female there that day as well when we were filming, I can't remember. Um, So I go down the steps into the toilet and I literally kind of get into the cubicle there. go through the few months, go to the cubicles and I'm about to sign of close my door, so to speak, to the cubicle. And the three cubicle doors in there all went ching, 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 ching. And all the locks closed. Jeez. And I was like, what the hell? And then I'm trapped in the toilet cubicle. I cannot get <laughs> out. And I'm shouting and I'm crying out, guys, now no one even to this day can hear you in that cellar. It's, it's very soundproofed. You're way down underground. So like nobody came to my rescue and it must've been about, it felt about 20 minutes I was in there. I was getting more and more claustrophobic, more and more stressed. I couldn't get the luck. I couldn't do anything. So I did what I always do when I get upset in this kind of situation or anything weird. I say the Lord's Prayer. And when I finished the Lord's Prayer, all of the doors went ding, 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 and flew open, including my own. And I was just like, oh my God, get me out of here. And I ran so quick back upstairs to the guys filming. And I would just, I'd lost it. I was so stressed by that point. And I went, why the hell did not you come looking for me? Didn't you hear me screaming? Didn't you hear me crying? And they're like, no, we didn't hear anything. I went, oh, damn it. I've been gone for 20 fucking minutes, you know? Why didn't you come and look for me? Do you not wonder what I was in Z? You've been gone five minutes, if that. And I went, what? I went, no way. I was down there at least 20 minutes, guys. And I feel now looking back on it, maybe I experienced some sort of time slip because there was no way, I'm telling you now, I was where on my deathbed, I was not down there for five minutes. So something weird's going on.
0: So it was some sort of time distortion, wasn't it?
1: Mm. Mm. I, well, or, I definitely or lost think so. time,
0: something like that, you know?
1: Yeah, I can't explain it. It's absolutely weird. Um,
0: just just touching on that, you were making. You said you were making a documentary. There was it. Um, you know, a historical account of the pub, or were you were you looking specifically for ghosts? What was what was it about?
1: Uh, no, that documentary was nothing to do with the paranormal whatsoever. It was actually okay. just a, a general documentary on the Jack the Ripper story.
0: Okay. So it wasn't a most haunted sort of a setup.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Lindsay, another one of the victims uh, linked to the turn is Annie Chapman. Um, now, I understand you've got a little story about Annie Chapman at a location on Hanbury Street.
1: Yeah, I've actually got um, a few stories, actually, on the Hanbury Street location. Okay. Um, so... This is again from sort of Mr. Underwood and a few sources. So one, though, going back to 1930s before Underwood's story, um, it's recounted shortly after the murder, stories actually began to circulate, telling of the sort of uh, apparitions of a man and a woman seen in the vicinity of number 29, Hanbridge Street. And these reports continued until at least the 1930s, Um, and various stories with that, especially when 1960, when Peter Underwood comes along and he speaks to a few people in the area. And he actually spoke to one man who claimed to remember seeing these apparitions of a man and a woman on four separate occasions around the autumn time, around the time that Annie was murdered. and basically they would sort of stand in front of where 20, number 29 was and sort of then sort of disappear. Some would say into the backyard and they not. So that's quite interesting. This couple kept disappearing. And then Mr Underwood also spoke to a man called Thomas. His surname was Thomas, Mr Thomas, who also lived on Hanbury Street. And he said that in the 1930s, he kept walking past. And, and one day he walked past and saw the door leading through the passageway because basically he had the house. He had a side passageway which led to the upper rooms and the back garden and it was the back garden where Annie was murdered so she went with Jack through that open doorway through the corridor to the backyard and this chap Thomas said that on one day he saw the back door leading through to the back garden open from the main road, Hanbury Street and he heard coming from the back garden sort of panting, muffled voices, sound of a struggle and he thought well, that's not good. That doesn't sound, right. what's going on? So he actually went through that little sort of corridor, peered out the back, bearing in mind back then it had sort of two or three little stairs going into the garden and it was black and he looked out to the garden, didn't see anybody, but still heard all the noises. He mm. was absolutely terrified thinking, well, hang on, the yard is deserted, but I'm still hearing these sounds. And then he said he heard someone breathing very heavily and someone gasping for breath. And then he heard a pause the sound of something being bragged, and then there was just silence.
0: Terrifying. Gosh,
1: imagine, ima- yeah, imagine sort of, you know, seeing there, there's bugger all there, but you're hearing all of that. And was that a reconstruction? Is that like the Stone tape thing? You know, is that like the mud of Annie Chapman being replayed just, you know, orally as opposed to like visually? Hmm. Very, very strange. Uh, the only other the story we have with with Annie near the site is because the Truman Brewery, um, owned the site when the house was demolished, and there are stories that her, Annie's phantom actually was occasionally spotted standing by the walls of a storeroom, and also anyone in the brewery boardroom at six o'clock on the anniversary of her death might have felt a chill draft blow from thin air. So we have that. But any other link I've got with um, Annie and the ten bells itself. And if any really dates from the 1970s and it was one of those landlords mid 1970s who uh when it was called the jack the ripper pub and that was when they experienced all the things i mentioned earlier um the female wife at the time of of manager she felt it might have been a personal thing towards her the activity because her surname was gatman Okay. And she maybe believed, you know, was it Annie trying to get in contact with her or did this person? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. But that made the press. That, that story mm. did make the press. So we have that written down.
0: I'm always interested um, in how people identify um, ghosts. You know, we were just talking, someone said they saw Annie Chapman, etc. cetera. Um, for most people, the only evidence or the only image they would have of her is probably a bloody corpse at you, must have circulated at some point. I don't know if they even put those things in like penny dreadfuls, did they? But I'm sure the photos over the years have have got out. Um, do you think it's right that people are, are well are apportioned to what they're seeing to you know a famous victim? It's, it's a bit like when people talk about reincarnation and stuff. They're always reincarnated as Mary Queen of Scots, aren't they? They never. <laughs> yeah, they, they never re, you know, is, is Joe blogs. You know, there's yeah, a guy who sweeps um of crap up off the streets. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: um, personally, I don't think there's any evidence whatsoever for any of the Ripper names of the victims to be associated with any of the spirits in that pub. Yeah, um, we don't know if that was any. you know There clearly is, if you believe it, there's clearly a female you know, spectre in, in the basement area, the cellar area. Another female apparition has been seen on many times with a child on the upper floor rooms. So we're never going to know who that is unless, you know, mm. it suddenly turns round and says, somehow, I'm Annie Chapman. So I don't know why people, I guess people love a good ghost story, don't they? So they always say, because we know she was definitely associated with that pub, it must be her ghost. But we have no proof of that. And like you say, there were no contemporary photographs of Annie, certainly alive, Um, around that time in the press. Don't forget that photographs weren't even really published in the newspaper until a few years later. That was quite a new science really going on, having photos in newspapers. So in 1888, that kind of really didn't even happen Um, until Neil Sheldon, uh, a great researcher, found, actually tracked down Annie's family uh, several years ago and got a family photograph of Annie alive which actually is the only photograph we have of any ripper victim during life mm-hmm. um, up until that time we wouldn't have even know what Annie looked like because you really can't see much from a, a portrait of a head you know sadly in demise state in a mortuary no. so I don't even think they would know what Annie looked like or Mary Jane really and certainly we don't even have a you know, that the picture, the only image we have of Mary Jane are the one or two taken when she's lying on the bed in such a horrific state, you can't even see her face because her face has been hacked off. So unless you're a psychic and you would maybe get other messages from, you know, other ways, so to speak, to say this is Mary Jane, which is what happened to my friend who was living in the 10,000 who believed he saw her, he was a psychic. So he felt it was definitely her. But unless you are, maybe you feel you have a bit more knowledge through things like that. I don't, I don't see how just anybody on the street would be able to go, "Oh, that's Annie Chapman's ghost. I, mm. I don't see it myself. I could be wrong. but
0: Well It, it, so fits, no. it fits the narrative. If there's been a murder or, or in this case a, a series of famous murders, it fits But we have to remember yeah. that
1: none of the victims were killed in that pub. No. Often ghosts tend to reside at their final place where their life was taken. Mm. so you know if if any if any of the victims are going to haunt anywhere it would be the murder sites not really the local pub i no.
0: would have you would have thought you know <laughs> and
1: as i said the guy who is haunting the upper floors yeah, i don't know if he's still there or not i haven't spoken to the current staff um he's most likely probably to be one of those two landlords who definitely died in that in that pub and lived there for half their lives that would make more sense you know yeah,
0: absolutely um you know, that's just a little curio I have. You know, I like to question sort of um, hmm. things like things like that. You know, the ghost always seems to be of someone famous, um, and a story seems to develop on the back of of the infamy, so to speak. So, hey, that's just me. <laughs> it's
1: always good to question things, though. It's it, it always,
0: good. it always. Now, poor Lizzie Stride met um, a demise around Burner Street um, for several months after the killing. Um, her cries and screams could be heard close to where she died. You got any further intel on that one?
1: Um, that story again does actually have a source.
0: Does okay. So many,
1: yeah, because so many stories, as you know, are oral histories or made up. <laughs> a lot of yep. the time on the internet. So it is nice when we can actually track down at least a bit of a provenance of a story, yep. even though it may, of course, be made up. But at least you've got a provenance. Uh, again, that one dates to um, sort of the early century with Elliot O'Donnell again in his book book of Ghosts. And he said around one month after her death, a Whitechapel tradesman walking north along Burner Street Lay one night heard moaning and groaning, couldn't work out where it was coming from, um, started to run for help and spoke to a tradesman about it. And it was about to knock on the door, you know, is, is, is one of your neighbors all right or something? And the guy said to him, It's no good knocking there, Governor. Them sounds don't come from that there house. They're in the street here. We've often (laughs) heard them since poor Lizzie was done to death close to this here spot. So that's interesting. You know, it's like the actual spot as opposed to a house or a garden or anything, you know, the actual spot, which, you know, apparently that's, but that's Elliot's story. Anyway, the only other link I have with Elizabeth is that when the television program sightings, which was filmed in 1994, which you can actually get on YouTube. It's not in great condition, but it is there if uh, your listeners want to watch it. It's sightings from 1994. If you just put sightings, Jack the Ripper, it comes up with the programme and it was all filmed inside the Penn Bells, which mm-hmm. is great because it goes into the cellar. They have a psychic on that programme and she picked up that the ghost, the female ghost she believed was Elizabeth Stride, which is interesting because we have no documentary proof Elizabeth ever even drank in there. Mm. As I said, she possibly did, but we don't have any real links with Elizabeth to that pub. So it's very interesting why that psychic said that. We'll never know, I guess, but that's what she believed. She believed that it was Lizzie in that basement. So there we go.
0: And as you say, it it kind of counteracts the theory that the ghosts reside or the energy, residual energy resides at at the place of death, doesn't it? Maybe. Mm. Now, Lindsay, we know that uh, Hollywood has um, romanticised the whole Ripper killings and so forth, and turned a whole area into well, I wouldn't say a tourist destination, but certainly, um, if that's you're a fan of things that go bump in the night, you know, you'd you have a cursory look or go on one of your wonderful tours and things like that. I understand. Um, Place like Madame Tussauds even had an exhibition where they uh, made a recreation of the Ten Bells pub um, some years ago, sort of to to attract this this uh, tourist market.
1: Um, yeah, so Madame Tussauds actually um, i have always had a Chamber of Horrors. The listeners probably know very very yeah. famous part of Tussauds. Sadly, no longer there. It was actually closed down the Chamber of Horrors section a few years ago. Um, I have worked there for a while in the archives. And just as I left, they sort of uh, closed that down for various reasons, sadly, no longer there. I always felt felt that Madame Tussaud would be turning in her grave, personally, when they did that, but that was for commercial reasons. Um, Back in 1980, they redid and revamped uh, the Chamber of Horrors area, and they actually created a Victorian cobbled street. And on that street, they did a reconstruction of what the Ten Bells actually looked like in the Ripper's time. And many people even today go, well, I remember that. And it was just kind of this square, flat-looking building. It wasn't the Ten Bells as we know it. And that's because they'd actually done some research and found the original plans uh, from a conveyancy from the 1850s uh, when the pub was remodelled before it had the new changes, which we see today. So they were actually accurate um, Mm -hmm. on their, their street reconstruction, their replica, if you like. And Mary Jane Kelly was the figure, the waxwork, who was chosen to stand opposite it, for for several years and then she seemed to have moved because on the when i sort of went there a few years after that she was now at the door of the ten bells so she'd moved from over the road and was now standing right outside the pub um but then the london dungeon another great tourist place it has recently moved to a new location it was originally at the london bridge sort of location which was a great site where's it gone Um, to now it's over by the London Eye on Embankment okay. yep. by the old sort of London County Council building. Um, but back in 1988, they redeveloped some of their stuff at the original location and they actually opened a Jack the Ripper experience mm-hmm. and sort of reconstructed the, the front of the Ten Bells. They've then gone, then they moved to the new place. Um, actually, I think it was just, yeah, well, there in 2008, they remodelled uh, that whole Jack the Ripper experience in its new location. And today, if you go, when when we can go, when when things get back to normal, um, if you go there today or certainly the last few years, that whole experience actually ended inside a small version of the Ten Bells. And you're physically seating or standing in the Ten Bells. There's like thunder and lightning. It's meant to be a year after the Ripper murders have happened. And again, they've done some research because the landlady who is in theatrical costume and welcomes you in and talks to you and tells you the story, um, is actually called Mrs. Waldron. And that is real because in 1888 and 1889, Mrs. Waldron was indeed the landlady. So they've actually done a bit of research there, which I thought was quite nice. The public probably won't know that, but I thought it was quite nice as a historian. And as if you've been um, they sort of, there's the lightning storm and all of this, and Jack actually jumps out in the darkness and scares the living daylights out of most people. Uh Um, So there you go. So yeah, two famous tourist attractions. And uh, but there's nothing better really than going and seeing the original the original building, the original 10 bells. And if people want to come over, you know, and it's safe to do so, please do come and visit and come on the tours. We we need all the the, the visitors we can get now, especially here in London. So
0: it was Occam's Rays episode 43, I guess, has been Lindsay Civita. We've been talking about ghosts of Ripper victims, Jack the Ripper victims, uh, and associated paranormal activity at the 10 Bells Pub in Spitalfield. Thanks for coming on, Lindsay.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys.